Blog Talk Radio. President Jay on loan from God for the next two hours to walk you through this crazy world of sports. And hey, happy race day here in Indianapolis, high atop the Balance Studios, the west suburbs of Indianapolis, Indiana, just a few short miles from 16th in Georgetown, which is the, where the Indianapolis Motor Speedway is located. And there is a race going on today, and that is the road course. Is all set up and ready to go. Got us a, a uh, brand new uh, full setter. We'll get into that uh, as well as the IndyCar Grand Prix uh, prepares to get going this afternoon. And so we're going to spend most of the show today talking about IndyCar. Do a little NASCAR update, a little NBA update before we send you on your way. And then I'll be headed on down to the track. Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor, standing by in the balance green room. And uh, 917 is our digits. We're going to be just breaking down uh, by the cars. We're going to be breaking down the qualification. We're breaking down all the storylines of the Grand Prix. Obviously, storylines also how they might connect uh, to the Indianapolis 500. We don't want to leave that in right field as well. And then Steve Wilson, Speedway Digest, going to join us at the top of the next hour uh, to help us continue to break down some IndyCar NASCAR action at the bottom of the hour. We'll take you home with some NBA. My name is Tom Marquis, El Presidente, 917 is the digits. We'll be right back right here on the Balance Radio Network. Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family, so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. 
Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Simba Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Portland, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. Welcome back to The Balance. It is race day here in Indianapolis, west suburbs of Indianapolis. And uh, we've got us a race at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway helping us, joining us now to help us kick things off and unpack everything for today's action. Matthew Embry, WSBT up in South Bend, our official IndyCar contributor. How is you, sir? Uh, Still waking up, uh, but eager to race. So hopefully I don't cause too much of trouble getting down to Indianapolis next weekend when I have to be up by 4 a.m. so I can get down there by 8 a.m. for the morning warm-up session. I tell you what, it's exciting. I mean, you know, it's just so much fun to kind of watch how the marvel of this track is. And every year, you know, we go there every year. We do this whole thing every year. But, you know, as I come across the media lot there, across uh, 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 Georgetown there, uh, and and I go into the media gate and I walk down to the tunnel, there's always that very first stop in all. It's like the first time, even though I've been going for decades, it's like it's always the first time is like the first time. And to walk underneath that tunnel, if you're lucky enough to get there when there's cars on the track, gives you goosebumps. The Indianapolis Motor Speedway is a special track, and they, they have something unique at Indianapolis that probably I would say, if not 
the only, very close to the only uh, track in the world that does this, and that's the well, Daytona, of course, obviously. I'm speaking more of, of IndyCar and international known type races, uh, but that is able to take their road course and convert it into an oval and vice versa. Obviously, we used to have the Formula One here. Uh, we don't have that anymore, so that's where that track was designed and developed for was the road course. But, Matthew, nobody knows Indianapolis Motor Speedway better than you. Walk us through the road course today. Well, obviously, it's a tougher layout. It's a basic layout. Try to encourage more overtake, et cetera. Obviously, the tight uh, turn one and two complexes has seen many a wreck on the opening lap. It'll be interesting to see how that affects things and ultimately affects the race uh, this afternoon. We get it going at 3.30. And then, obviously, uh, down the straightaway, Holman Boulevard, there's a good chance to pass there. And then there's a good chance to turn into when you get to the snake pit uh, just before the end of the lap. So, at least three good places where you could overtake and gain ground. But uh, getting the restarts right and then the in and out laps, I think, are going to have a lot to say about uh, who wins this race. And uh, could be, uh, we could see a first time winner, uh, certainly. And I think there's a good chance in it in uh, Sweden's Felix Rosenquist. Well, yeah, I tell you what, what a special uh, 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 honor that is for Chip Ganassi and then, of course, back-to-back and P1 and P2 is is Rosenfest and uh, Dixon. And, uh, you know, rookie, first time he's ever gotten a pole, first time he's ever been at Indianapolis. And to get a pole there, that's no easy task. And and how the the road courses are set up, it is hard to pass. And, you know, Will Power said in in the presser yesterday, he was just like, you know, everybody's so good these days. People don't make the mistakes that they used to make, and the chances are far more likely today we'll see an all-green race than what we would have seen just a couple years ago. Uh, so he's like, you know, people are locked in, and they know what they're doing. So you have to take advantage of those opportunities uh, when they arrive. We saw in practice and uh, yesterday uh, that Scott Dixon found the grass a little bit. And you may have seen the, uh, uh, the tweet that uh, Chip Canassi sent out that said, sorry about the lawn guys. Uh, so that's going to happen. But one of the things is talk a little bit about uh, our, our pole setter, our rookie from Sweden. Um, here, here's the thing. He's a very good driver, but Chip Canassi's on record to saying we just got to get him to stop tearing up race cars and he's good so the thing about it is it's a lot easier to try to get them to slow them down a little bit slow it down we know you can get the job done you don't have anything to prove to us help us get to know our rookie from sweden i don't know if you necessarily could say he's tearing up race cars i mean he's got three top 10 finishes in the first four races i'd say he's doing his job very well and probably better so than Ed Jones did well, last you gotta, year. You gotta, I mean, you got to rem- you got to remember, Matt, in, in 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 testing and in practice and in uh, other tracks, he has hit the wall. He has had wrecks. He has had his issues on the track. And that and that again, that comment came from Chip Canassi, which is the team owner. But go ahead. But sometimes, as we know, Chip Ganassi can sometimes overstate things a little bit. And <laughs> Very true. I think that's a Touché. rush of hyperbole on that. Uh, let's, for instance, compare what he has done in the first four races with Ganassi to, say, the guy that was there uh, last year. If I could find his information here, where is he? Ed Jones. I'll work on that here for a second. But while I am at it, uh, he hasn't put a wheel wrong all year, 
I think uh, a couple missteps where, you know, etiquette as far as, you know, the in and out laps and then, you know, racing strategy and catching the yellows right, I think has been his biggest issue. I mean, he did have a little bit of an issue in Austin, but again, that was a new track for everybody. But let's take a look at it. The facts of the matter are simple. His results, 4th, 23rd, 10th, 10th. Compare that to Ed Jones last year in his first four races. 8th, 20th, 3rd, 20th, and two of those being DNFs. Felix Rosenbist hasn't had a DNF already yet this season. I'd say big improvement so far this year. Oh, no, I I totally agree with you. I I, I like him. I enjoyed talking with him yesterday at the presser. I enjoyed uh, seeing his energy when he uh, uh, when he uh, won the poll, and I'm happy for him and Chip, Chip Canassi. You know, you talked a little bit about um, – uh, Jack Harvey. Let, let's talk a little bit about where he's at. He's in in, in P3. Uh, he is. He's not with Sam Schmidt anymore, is he? he uh, he's I, with it, the satellite team, Meyer Shank, which is that's what I thought. That's what I, that's what I put in my article yesterday, but I didn't have all my notes up here. So that's my storyline with Jack Harvey. As I put in my article on Speedway Digest yesterday, uh, the other storylines, which we'll get into in a minute, here is Jack Harvey and Colt and Colton Hurd. Obviously, Colton Hurd, the Indy Lights uh, sensation from last year, uh, but Jack Harvey is an unproven entity. What a better audience! I mean, and you got to look. I mean, I, I. I applaud NBC for what they're doing as far as uh, the the pairing up with other sporting events, the, the advertising that they're doing, and they've got a huge coverage there at the track. Uh, I was there, I've been there all weekend. Uh, NBC is everywhere you go. Their signage is there. Everywhere you go, NBC is there. And this is the first um, a live network uh, race of the season, if you will, big network, a uh, big boy network, if you will. And, you know, you might – we might kid ourselves and say there might be 2 million people watching, but there's at least probably going to be a million people watching, uh, not counting who's going to be at the, at the track. And, and so uh, Doug Bowles yesterday in the leadership uh, press conference talked about how attendance is up, how ticket sales are up. Are they where they want them to be? No, but they're up, and they're uh, certainly not to the magnitude where they were, at, where were the first GP, but the, the first one is always – not necessarily your stabilizer. It's everybody's excited to see what this is going to be about. We haven't had, we hadn't had uh, racing on the road course for, for a few years. Now we bring back a, another race in the month of May. So a lot of the excitement was there, but the, the, the ticket prices are, I mean, the, the ticket, the ticket sales are up. Uh, the, the, the uh, network uh, coverage that's going to be on live on NBC. So Jack Harvey to do well, he's very positioned very well for him and that satellite team to do well, and it, maybe maybe it'll take some notice. So let's let's talk a little little bit about that satellite team. Uh, as I mentioned in the article, it's uh, certainly a a, a uh, another storyline to watch here today at the Indy, Indy IndyCar Grand Prix. Talk about a team that needs a boost. That's Jack Harvey's team right now. I mean, yes, they've had a couple top tens, not so good at Atlanta, or at Alabama or at Long Beach, but this is looking ahead to the bigger picture, which is qualifying next weekend. Uh, if you see my gridatology list, I currently have Jack Harvey as among my last four to get into the field. So you talk about getting a boost momentum. This certainly helps that, but to be able to go all the way, get the finish, he doesn't necessarily need to win today. But if he can get a top another a top sure. five, 
or at worst a top 10, that gives them the shot in the arm I think they need to get the momentum going in their favor to where they don't have to worry as much as uh, making the field for the Indy 500 as some of the other teams are on that cut line, like the Dragon Speeds, uh, you know, the and Marshalls, the teams that are not running this weekend as opposed to the teams that are running this weekend. You know, we're going to talk about Colton Herta here in just a minute, and that's another storyline that I want to talk about. The gates are opened up uh, at 7.30 today. Uh, so, guys, know your zones. Uh, I tell you, if you're within driving distance, I know we're a national show, but if you're within driving distance of Indianapolis, three hours maybe, four hours maybe, we consider that driving distance, there's still some tickets available. You can literally walk up to the gate and buy a ticket. And the great thing about uh, the IndyCar Grand Prix I think in a lot of ways you want to get a general admission ticket. It only costs you 30 bucks, I think. Uh, and just go to a, one of the viewing mountains because of the road course is so exciting to watch. A lot of it happens on the back part of it. And you mentioned the viewing mounds are on Holman Boulevard. I'm sorry, the, you mentioned Holman Boulevard where there's a lot of passes to, to happen there. There's a great viewing mounds there. So come on down to the track, get your ticket, have a good time. Midway opened up at 7.30 as well. Track closes at 5.45. Well, ish, ish, we'll say, uh, because um, obviously they're going to keep it up to open to, to finish the race. Uh, 8.30, uh, we had Indy Lights qualifying. I don't have all the results for that. I do want to talk a little bit about Indy Lights and the USF uh, 2000. Uh, obviously, uh, the in the Indy Pro, obviously the uh, they're the uh, road to Indy, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about that uh, developmental league. And Matthew, you know that a lot as you as you covered a lot more racing than I do. Uh, but uh, so certainly we we've got Colton Herta, which was the Indy Light sensation last year uh, here in the big boys race and the NTT thing. But let's talk a little bit about the road to Indy. Well, I think right now, looking ahead to the road to Indy, you know, you got a lot of, you know, prospects in uh, the road to Indy right now. I don't think you have necessarily guys who you say are ready for the next level just yet. Uh, you look at some of these guys. I mean, Zachary Clayman, yes, he does have an Indy 500 start next to his name. But uh, the other names out there. Uh, Jared Andretti's making his first ever start. Uh, Chris Windham is making the transition from dirt cars to uh, asphalt. Uh, so he's still, I think, at least a year, two, or three away. And you've got decent prospects. Uh, Lucas Cole from Brazil, uh, Julia Falchero from France, uh, Del- Dalton Kellett from Canada. But I don't think any of these guys necessarily are ready for the big time just yet. I think... Uh, Unlike the guys, you know, the Colton Hurtas and the Rosenquist who come through that were surefires, other than maybe Zachary Clayman, uh, I don't think there's really anyone out there that you could say they need to be an IndyCar, they should be an IndyCar, even if they win the scholarship money uh, for winning the championship uh, this at the end of this season, Indy Lights. I just think uh, you don't have really a prospect out there that says, I am ready to make the jump to the next level, unless you're talking maybe a Zachary Clayman. Well, I was really excited to see Colton Herta where he's at. And I've been talking about this for a couple of minutes here about about him and him being the other storyline. Colton Herta, I, I, I believe, completely dominated the Indy Lights uh, series. We've got the Indy Lights race this afternoon around 1 o'clock, I believe. Uh, and uh, that's a 35-lap uh, 
there at the at the road course. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, but Colton Hurd is certainly among one of the fastest uh, in qualifying yesterday, and uh, I believe he qualified fourth. So he's in he's in the, the the fast five. I knew that. I just couldn't remember where he ended up at. Uh, good thing I got my notes here. Uh, but Colton Hurd uh, enjoyed talking with him at the presser. I have not had a chance to really get to 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 talk to him and know him over the few years that he's been in Indy Lights and in the road to Indy. He seemed kind of shy, uh, which is normal, I guess. He seemed kind of, of uh, just uh, low-key, low voice. Uh, but what do we know about Colton Herta? He seems to be the next uh, super stud that's coming up and in the IndyCar uh, series. Well, we already know he's a winner. I mean, he won at Circuit of the Americas earlier this year, so certainly he has proven that he belongs at this level and uh, could take advantage of a good equipment in the uh, Andre-supported uh, Harding-Steinbrenner car. Um, it's amazing how they were able to get, you know, their spinach and get their P's and Q's back together after it started ugly for them. There was uh, start rumors at the start of the year that they didn't have the funds to run, and then they had to uh, part ways with Pato Award, who ended up at Team Carlin for a limited schedule. But uh, they've, uh, like I said, they've eaten their spinach, they've gotten their act together, and... Uh, Suddenly, uh, Colton Hurd, I wouldn't say necessarily he's a challenger for the championship right now, but uh, I would say it's telling in that he has one more point in the standings right now than Simon Paginot, speak of the devil. <laughs> Are you still so with me? So you look at that scenario, and uh, so, yeah, I'd say good chance. And like I said, he has certainly gone up my big board. Remember at the start of the year I had him, for those of you that have not been following, I had him at number 30 on my big board looking ahead to the Indy 500. I now have him in the top 15, and if things work out well, I would not be surprised if we are talking about Sunday, me and you down at the Speedway, and he is in that shootout for the top nine in the pole position. Well, I couldn't agree with you more, and I'm really going to enjoy watching this young American. Uh, nothing against the foreign drivers. Uh, uh, let's going going back to the press conference with Doug Bowles and the and the IndyCar leadership staff yesterday, talking about the um, Wolfgang asked the question. Certainly, we're very familiar with those of us that are in the press of who he is. Um, asked the question about the diversity uh, between foreign and American drivers, and 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 Doug Bowles said, you know, there was a time when predominantly IndyCar was American drivers. And there was a time when the it was the other way. It was predominantly foreign drivers, and now there's a good mix. So I always like to see good American drivers. Hey, go USA. Uh, so Colton Herta, he's from California. That's where he still lives today, uh, and he's only 19 years old. So we would say, of course, uh, that, that he's single. Some highlights of Colton Herta, and we'll move on. Uh, certainly a young American IndyCar driver born in 2000. Uh, Completed his uh, will complete his uh, rookie NTT IndyCar Series season in 2019, driving the number 88 Honda Harding Strabeer Racing. Um, he's also the son of a uh, former race car driver, IndyCar driver, and that's uh, Brian Herta, who won four races in his driving career and two Indianapolis 500 as a team owner. Brian Herta currently is a co-owner of Andretti Herta Autosports, which fields the driver Marco Andretti. So I want to talk about Andretti's here in just a minute, but it's always good to see 
kids who have good pedigree, and and we we've seen that on the track m- multiple times. So let's go to the Andretti. Let's go to Marco Andretti. Let's go to the Penskys. Uh, were they in Egypt? I don't know. Were they were they in Tucson? I don't know. They sure as heck weren't in Indianapolis yesterday. Uh, and this is one of the the big storylines. No Penske, no Andretti, uh, no Joseph Newgarden, no Will Power, uh, uh, no uh, uh, Rossi. Uh, as far as in, in in the top of the field, and it just seemed like, you know, one of the questions uh, was asked at the at the presser yesterday afternoon after qualification: Do we have to send out a search and rescue uh, team to find uh, Team uh, Pinsky and uh, Team Andretti because they were nowhere to be found on the track this weekend? What is going on there? Should we read into the tea leaves about that? Should we be worried about that? Should there be something going on that we should be talking about? Because you have two very definite, very defined teams that you have the points leaders, and this is a points race. So you have the, the points leader, you have Joseph Newgarden and Alexander Rossi, number one and number two, nowhere to be found, didn't even get out of the first round of qualifying. Very simple. Look how tight the times were. Less than a second between the fastest car the pole sitter, Felix Rosenquist, and the guy who's starting 24th at Tony Kanaan. You don't have to miss it by much, and you are mired back in the pack. I mean, it was very tight qualifying for a reason, and they missed it by just a little bit. And because of that, they ended up falling by the wayside early. It's not to say their chances have been completely wiped out for winning this event, because all it takes is one full-course caution. That could shuffle the field. But... uh, as tight as the field is, I can't say I'm surprised that that's what happened. Well, let's kind of go through our qualifying here while we still got some time. Before I get to that, I do want to uh, talk about uh, – saw Robert Wickens at the track yesterday. As as we know, uh, a few – I mean, last year uh, he was hurt in a horrific crash at Pocono. I mean, we thought – I mean, is he even going to survive this crash? And then we thought, is he ever going to walk again? And then we thought, is he ever going to get into a race car again? So even though he was in a wheelchair uh, and he certainly had people there to help him and assist him, things we could we could look at Sam Schmidt. Things could get a lot worse. That is a, that came out wrong because we know that Sam Schmidt is doing very well. Uh, but what I mean as far as racing goes. And so I asked him, I said, how's it feel to be back here in Indianapolis? He said, it feels good to be back here at home, even though we know that he's a Canadian. So it just feels good to be back here at home. And I said, what do you feel about your recovery? And I felt very good about it. And I said, honestly, you can be candid with me and transparent with me. What are your personal thoughts about being back in a race car? He says, I can't wait to get back in a race car and it's going to happen. It's going to happen soon. So uh, the kids defied all odds. So I'm, I'm, I'm not betting against him. What are your thoughts, Robert Wickens, on his road to recovery? I want to believe him on that, but until I see it, I'd say right now it's the question marks in my mind. Uh, uh, being able to walk again, I'd say, is his main concern and the main target. I don't know if he'll ever get into a race car again because uh, those kind of injuries are tough to go through. And then the mental barrier of going through a crash like he did, I think it's going to be another thing that's going to be tough for him to get through. But if he can, more power to him. But uh, I'm still not necessarily banking or guaranteeing that he'll be back at a race car uh, until that day comes. Because, uh, like I said, the barriers, even though, yeah, he's jumped a bunch of hurdles already, he still has several more to go to before we're even talking about uh, getting back at a race car again. That's first thing is being able to walk unassisted on his own. And that's considering the injuries that he's had to overcome, that's going to still be quite a mountain for him to climb. 
So here's a, a fellow Canadian and fellow teammate, James Hinchcliffe. Again, uh, not what we're used to seeing him at. He's a friend of the show. I had a chance to briefly talk with him yesterday, and that was before qualifying. I asked him a little bit about his setup, and he's like he's, he feels good about it. He's, he feels like he's got some work to do on it. So maybe he kind of had a hint that it wasn't going to be the best qualifying that, that they had. Uh, so he qualified 18th. Obviously, that's nothing to write home about. And obviously, that's probably going to be very hard to fight from behind. Can it happen? Yes. Will it happen? Likelihood not. But uh, James Hinchcliffe, what are your thoughts on his qualifications yesterday? There just seems like there's a mental barrier right now at James Hinchcliffe in Indy because, remember, he's had – he almost suffered a failed accident practice on the Oval. He took uh, debris to the head and suffered a concussion, was forced to pull out of a race in the IndyCar Grand Prix a few years ago. You wonder, yes, he's had the pole position here, but you wonder how many of those things one could take before you just absolutely – uh, become uh, petrified of a place, and you, you wonder if that's starting to become with Hitchcliffe right now. I mean, I, I hope he has a good qualifying run uh, next weekend and makes the show, obviously, but uh, you wonder if that mental barrier is starting to get in his way a little bit where that thing, I think I can, and goes to, I'm not sure I can, and that's not necessarily what you want to see, but you wonder with all the issues he's had to suffer through at this speedway, if that mental barrier is starting to get in his way a little bit. Yeah, and, you know, that's, again, I think that's probably something that uh, they don't talk about. But it's, you're right, it is It is definitely there. Um, I wanted to – yeah, Ryan Hunter-Ray, I want to make sure I had that right. He, he qualified 16th. Man, he was doing really good at first, and then something just happened, and they just decided to pack it in and go back to the bus and call it a day. But uh, Ryan Hunter-Ray, again, a casualty – uh, if you will, of the of the Andretti's, uh, we don't know what's going on there. We saw it with Rossi as well, but Ryan Hunter Ray, obviously a very popular driver at the track, wasn't happy with his qualification, didn't talk to the press, went straight back to his bus and basically shut himself down. So, uh, what are your thoughts? It just says what the issue with Ryan Hunter Ray has been the last several years. He is a very below-average qualifier. Uh, he just doesn't – I don't know if it's one of those things where he just can't get himself up for it to the point where he could perform or what the case is, but we keep seeing him have to make these runs through the field on race day, particularly in the Indy 500. He just cannot cut it in qualifying mode anymore, and it takes a lot of out of you to have to come from mid-pack or the back of the pack every time to become a contender. And while, yes, he's one of the most strongest drivers we've seen recently on race day when we get to the Indy 500 and the IndyCar Grand Prix, he just gives himself so much to do that eventually you wonder how many times you can keep going to the well and taking a little bit out before you go to the well and it's dry. And that may be starting to come here with Ryan hunter Ray uh, if he struggles in qualifying uh, next weekend for the Indy 500 and has to come from big pack or the back of the pack again. So we had a couple of press conferences yesterday at the track. One of my favorites, and certainly I wrote an article, I wrote two articles on SpeedwayDigest.com. Go check it out. So, Fliss promotion. Uh, but one of the pressures was from Ray Hall Lutterman Racing uh, with uh, United Rentals and a company called Brave Mine. And uh, so we know that United Rentals and uh, uh, Ray Hall Lutterman Racing, David Lutterman was there. Fun interview to talk with him, too. That was really fun. We've got that up on social media. Uh, but, uh, Ray Hall, Lutterman, Ray, 
Racing announced that they had joined uh, sponsor of the United Rentals, the world's largest equipment rental, blah, blah, blah. But the raising, the goal is raising over a million dollars for, for the troops. And as we know, they're very active in uh, turns for the troops and, and troops strong. But they teamed up with uh, Soldier Strong and a company called Brave Mind uh, to use virtual reality technology. Uh, and I've got the demo up on social media, so you have to go check that out, of how virtual reality is able to help veterans in PTSD. So hats off uh, to Ray Hall Letterman Racing. Obviously, uh, for every uh, completed uh, uh, turn today and at IndyCar, there's money being raised for the troops. And I got to take my hats off to Ray Hall Letterman Racing. I'm a huge supporter of the of the troops, and that's one of the big reasons that I'm a, a big uh, personal fan of Graham Ray Hall. Uh, and uh, you know I'm going to mess it up. That's why I'm avoiding saying it. Uh, Sonoko, but from Japan, obviously the other drivers uh, with uh, Ray Hall Letterman Racing. Uh, so what are your thoughts on about this partnership and uh, raising money for the veterans using virtual reality? And uh, let's talk a little bit about Graham Ray Hall. He uh, qualified P7 in today's race. Bolts of Honor, obviously, was with them last year. It's good to see that they're doing it with another organization. That's always a good thing. I just wish, though, that they would be doing this and doing supporting them the right way where it's not altering the race like what NASCAR is doing by doing it right in the middle of the race. I mean, what's wrong with doing it during pre-race? I mean, there's a reason why they play taps during the pre-race. It's for the troops at Indy. There's a reason they do the military march in front of the crowd during back home again in Indiana. It is during the pre-race. I don't know why you're doing it during the race. I think you could easily do it at Charlotte during the pre-race, and it would be just as fine as you're doing it during the race. I think uh, I don't understand what NASCAR's fans have such a negative view toward that, uh, but that's just my view on that personally. I think during pre-race it's okay. You don't need to do it during the race and throw a yellow for it. But uh, ultimately, I think with Graham Rahal, the same thing with Ryan Hunter Ray. Can he qualify well enough to so he doesn't have nearly the work to do on race day that he has had to do over the years? If he could be a stronger qualifier and be there right up with, say, his teammate Takuma Sato, I think he certainly stands a good chance of being a contender on race day. The thing is, though, can he get that job done when it counts? And that's the thing that's been the uh, big mental block for Graham Rahal. He just has not figured out this four-lap qualifying uh, game at the Speedway. You know, I want to talk about another storyline that's hanging out there, and that is uh, Ed Jones, Ed Carpenter Racing, uh, first year with Ed Carpenter Racing. H- how exciting is this kid? Uh, kid, but uh, I, I call them all kids, but nonetheless, these younger drivers, but but he he deserves a break. And Ed Carpenter has, has, has had a way of finding drivers, uh, let's, let's not forget when Ed Carpenter was with Sarah Fisher and Joseph Newgarden, he has a way of finding drivers and finding them underneath the radar. Ed Jones, Ed Carpenter Racing, Ed Jones qualifies uh, P5 in today's Grand Prix. Yeah, but Ed Jones is in probably the biggest dry spell of his career. He was disappointing last year with the Ganassi team. And let's look at his results. This year, coming into the month of May, he's placed no better than 14th at any of the first four races. That is much less 
than was expected from a guy that dominated Indy Lights for two seasons, came in guns blazing in his first year in the IndyCar Series, was a contender to win the Indy 500, crashed out early in last year's Indy 500, was a non-factor in the IndyCar Grand Prix. Uh, I think the question is, is which is the real Ed Jones right now? Is it the Ed Jones that we are currently getting, or is it the Ed Jones that was lights out dominant in the Indy Lights? That's the question in my mind, Tom, is, is this the real Ed Jones, or was that the real Ed Jones? Will the real one please stand up for me? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, let's talk about two. Uh, I want to see where I'm at here on my on my notes here. I got, I got my papers going everywhere. So uh, we talked about Joseph New- Newgarden. I'm going to talk about Simon Padijan. Uh Obviously, not where he wants to be at as well. Certainly, right down there. Uh, it, it, when you look at with where Will Power um, was at. Uh, okay, he was at P6, but still. Uh, uh, Will Power, Graham Rahal, and uh, Simon Pajon all right there. But for Will Power, I mean, Will Power is only one of two winners of the Grand Prix that has ever happened. Again, Will Power is a Penske guy. We talked about the the, the non-showing of, of some big names, and Penske is the biggest stable at the track. And they could not do a, a good showing, Chip Canassi show all day long. But Simon Padijan and Will Power, what say you, sir? Well, the thing is, though, with these power teams, it's not that you are a power team. It's what you do with that power that makes you effective or ineffective. And they did not take advantage of the assets that they had, especially not yesterday. And that's why they're barred back in the pack at some of these lesser teams, not necessarily weaker teams, but lesser in terms of funds and equipment, were able to beat them. So... I think right now it's how you effectively use what the resources you have, and that's how you succeed or fail. But uh, willpower certainly cannot be counted out. I'd say Simon Pagino cannot be counted out. Uh, the thing with Pagino, though, I still have to question whether or not he has figured out this uh, Delaro era kit yet. Uh, he still seems to be just miles behind uh, his three other teammates at Team Petsky right now. I, if you comp- say you want me to compare him against uh, New Garden. Uh, Power and Castro Nevis looking ahead to the Butts of Bay of the Indy 500. I'd say he is their fourth best option right now looking ahead to the greatest spectacle of racing at this point if you're talking about Simon Pagino and Team Penske. All right. Well, let's get into the moment has arrived. We're going to go through all 24 cars, uh, and I know we'll probably overlap some of them that we've already talked about. We also want to uh, make sure that we incorporate these 24 cars with your uh, gridatology. So we're just going to start from the top, even though we've made this our headline and our story. Obviously, Chip Canassi, uh, rookie uh, uh, Felix Rosefex gets uh, from Sweden, gets uh, the P1 position. Chip Canassi, I guess P1 and P2, and obviously we're going to get to Scott Dixon here in just a minute, but we're going to go through all 24 cars in order. Hopefully we can get it all done here uh, before Steve Wilson joins us, but if not, we'll we'll continue on uh, because the highlight of our show today is uh, IndyCar uh, Grand Prix. So, Matthew, your gridatology, feel free to to incorporate that anywhere as well. And and before we do that, where can people find your gridatology? I know that's one of the big things that you do every year, and we certainly use it as a as a source for us. Uh, you being our official IndyCar contributor as well. So we're going to let you kind of drive this uh, next segment with the next 24 cars. Uh, but we'll start with uh, P1 and Felix uh, Rosenfax, obviously a rookie. 
Okay, by Gridatology, it's a little bit further down. You've got to pad down the list on my tweets, but it's at M-A-T-T-E-M-B-U-R-Y on Twitter. Uh, Felix Rosequist, I currently have him at number nine on my Gridatology and Big Board. That's where it would be the borderline to make the cut. I think just because of the poor performance of the second Ganassi car last year with Ed Jones, which only qualified 26, I have a feeling that this car, add to that Honda, I think is going to be more competitive than they were a year ago against the Chevrolets. Uh, they will be right in the thick of it, and I think Rosenquist could possibly just sneak into that top died at position number nine. Then you have Scott Dixon, who I have at position three. Uh, other than Ed Carpenter, he's the one that's won the polls at Indianapolis right now, so if Honda is a competitor, I'd have to assume Dixon's going to be right up there among the contenders. That's why I have him at three, even though some, because of concerns of whether or not the Honda's going to have the power have it further down the list. Uh, Jack Harvey, uh, he certainly, I'd say right now, is one of the guys that is certainly going to be sweating bullets. I currently have him number 32 on uh, my big board at this point. Remember, Meyershake Racing does not run ovals. This is the only oval event that they run during the year. And, again, Schmidt-Peterson had their problems with their oval program last year. So that's why Harvey is so down the list for Indy looking ahead. Uh, Colton Herta, member, I had him at 30 at the start of the month or the start of the Gridology run this year. I have him now all the way up to number 16 on my list. That would be the inside of row six for the man that won the Austin IndyCar Classic. Uh, Ed Jones, if he could take advantage of the car, uh, I don't know if Ed Carpenter Race is going to be the same power source as they were a year ago. But if you go by that case, he could be a contender for the top nine. I currently have him at 13. Uh, Will Power, I have solidly in the top nine. I have him currently as my number one. Uh, I think there is no stronger qualifier right now. And even though he's never won the NTT Data P1 Award at Indy, I think time for a first thing for everything. And I think right now if you go by what's on the list, I think he is the man to beat for the poll coming up next weekend. Uh, Graham Rahal, again, single-car qualifying issues with Rahal. I have him behind Sato in my big board right now at 18. Uh, Simon Pagano, I have him barely making the top nine at position number eight. Again, the question's about getting used to the Lara body style and the oval package. Uh, I just don't think he's going to be a contender for the poll. He will make the show, but the poll I don't think is going to be a possibility for Simon. Marcus Erickson, uh, qualified ninth uh, for today's uh, IndyCar Grand Prix, another guy with limited oval experience. I currently have him as the first on my first four in or last four in list at number 30. Uh, Sebastian Bourdais, I think, again, is going to be the top contender for the coin team, and I think a threat to make the top nine. I currently have him at number seven. That would be a top nine qualifier. Sato, I just have outside the top nine at number 10. I think the open test run was impressive, but the question is how many teams were really showing their true stuff and how many teams were sandbagging during that session. So it's unknown whether or not he has the potential to be a top nine contender or not. Spencer Pickett made the top nine last year. I have him just missing at 12 this time around. New Garden. Again, I don't think he's as big a pole threat as, say, Will Power, Elio Casadevis, but I have him in the top nine at number six. Uh, Satito Ferrucci, that's another tricky one. Uh, if the coin entries beyond Pat, or beyond Bourdais are competitive, he could be much higher up than 29 where I currently have him. But, again, the lack of overall experience is a question mark. Elio, uh, I know he's 
disappointed in the Fast 9 shootout the last few years, Tom, but you can't ignore the fact he's won pole at Indy four times. And that's why I have him currently at number two on my big board at this point. Look, he had to qualifying on the oval. And then you have Ryan hunter Ray again, question to mark, as strong a qualifier as he, a weak qualifier. I have him all the way at 14, which would be the middle of row five. Um, Rossi, I think if you talk about Andretti Autosport, the best threat for a pole position run would come from Alexander Rossi. I have him in at number five. Uh, Hinchcliffe. Obviously failed to qualify last year, but I don't think with that concerted the way the embarrassment that caused for Schmidt, Peter, Sidero, I think they're going to be a much more competitive ride. I have him at the top of the Schmidt cars at 17 right now. Uh, Pato Award, another X factor. Uh, he certainly could go higher than the 23 position I've had, but then again, he didn't participate at the open test. Carlin looked suspect at the open test as well, so he could go up, could go down. And then uh, Veach. Uh, my colleague David Land had him out of the field, and I could see that happening. I have him at 26 right now, which would be the bill of row nine. Uh, Mateus Laced, uh, the lack of the Chevy advantage, I think is going to hurt him. I have him from 11 where he was last year on the grid all the way down to 19. Uh, you talk about the Carlin team, that's obviously going to hurt Chilton's chances. I have him all the way down at 25. Marco Andretti, I still think he is a contender for, you know, the top nine, as is Tony Kanaan. I have Marco at 14, at 11, and then Tony Kanaan at 15, and that's all the drivers that are participating in uh, the IndyCar Grand Prix on my list. And then you look at the Indy-only runners, uh, a few notables I have that are further up on the list. Uh, for instance, I have uh, Fernando Alonso currently at position number 20. Uh, Oriole Servia at 21. Uh, again, that deal has not been finalized yet. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of people on the cut line that would like to see one less car there. That means one available spot available if Servia does not perform. Charlie Kimball uh, has done well at Indy in the past, but again, the Carlin regression has me a little bit concerned. I have him at 22. Uh, James Davison, I think, is solidly it for coin. I have him at 24. Um, again, the other indie only, Connor Daly, is a little bit iffy about Daly, but the performance he had on the open test, it gives me a little more confidence. I have him currently at number 27, Dryron Reinbold. I think that's the team that right now of the multi-car teams that have multiple entries, I think that's the team that really could be behind the eight ball. I only have Sage Karam at number 28, and I have J.R. Hildebrand at number 31 right now. And then my last car in, Jordan King, um, I think the fact that he is in a Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan car will save him from being bumped, but uh, it's going to be a tight fit for Jordan considering he has no oval experience. And then the three I have out, and that's I think you could I don't think you can argue with me on any of these three. Tom, Kyle Kaiser, U uh, Coast Racing. I think their focus right now is more on IMSA competition and sports cars than it is IndyCar. Uh, ben Hanley, Dragon Speed. Two decent performances on road courses, but again, they've never run out of an oval. So it's safe for Hanley, who did not participate at the open test. And then Klaus and Marshall, they've never even had a test, uh, a run with the car at all. And then you're expecting them to go out in, in just four days, assuming no rain and those any of those four days of practice, and get a car ready to be able to qualify for Indy. As much as I love Pip, I just don't see that happening. So if you say right now, who are the three most likely drivers who are going to fail to qualify next weekend, Kaiser, Hanley, and Mann, I think are the three that are in the most danger of failing to qualify for the 130 and 500 next weekend, Tom. 
Well, we'll be down there. You and I will be down there uh, as we are every year, uh, and uh, we will we will have it all uh, covered. Obviously, on social media, we'll have our show. And then I know Tyson talked with him yesterday. He wanted to join us today, but he will join us uh, for the Field of 33, which will not be this weekend, but will be the following weekend, which is our special yearly uh the day before the 500 uh special that we do called the field of 33 we take all two hours up and we talk about it so the entire racing team here with the balance we're joining us tyson lautenschlager uh from onpitroad.com yourself steve wilson from speedway digest and we've got some other guests that always show up as well for the field of 33 so getting really excited about it but let's get back on track uh, no pun intended let's get back on track for the grand prix as obviously that's the highlight of it is, as it is obviously a 2.439 mile uh uh road course so uh matthew uh, i know we may have some uh, late joiners people that might be joining us and we're talking indycar grand prix today uh and uh Steve Wilson from Speedway Digest is going to be joining us here in just a few minutes uh, to to uh, talk to th- about this. We'll talk some NASCAR as well. Uh, but let's, uh, again, let's do a recap and uh, take us turn by turn at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway road course. Actually, there's something else I want to play here. This was from David Landshow, and this was something he, he said a couple days ago about the IndyCar Grand Prix. Listen to this. That's all. In Around 2012-2013, I would say the Indy 500 hit its low point. It probably hit rock bottom. Attendance, interest, both nationally, internationally, and even locally, which is very important for ticket sales, it was at its rock bottom. Now, of course, that was around the time that the IndyCar Grand Prix came into play. Now, what David Land is saying on his Twitter page and on YouTube is that they need to get rid of the IndyCar Grand Prix because it has lost its luster and its necessity as part of the Butte Bay. What do you think, Tom? Do you think uh, that he has a point here? Because I don't see where he's coming from this. Normally I agree with him on those kind of things, but with getting rid of the IndyCar Grand Prix, uh, I don't know about that. Yeah, I follow him, and, and I like his stuff. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I do. Uh, he sometimes jumps on the hot take, hot take bandwagon, and that's okay. I mean that that gets clicks and that gets listens and I get it. I I do too as well as you know I get on the hot takes bandwagon sometimes. So I think that's all that is. I think it's a hot take. I think that the reason why they brought the Grand Prix was to bring back the true month of May because if you think about it, before the Grand Prix we had really one week. We had basically a week and a half, and yes, that's more than any other track gets. But this is May. This is Indianapolis. There's so much tradition built in here. And I think that so many people were desiring that and missing that and missing what it really does mean to the city of Indianapolis, to the fans of IndyCar, to have a month of May. And this Grand Prix just really allows that to happen. And and, and let's look at it from the other aspect of it. We had a road course that they spent millions of dollars designing, have all of this technology that a lot of courses don't have, and that's to to convert from a road course uh, to a – a road course uh, to to an oval. And I know NASCAR uses it some too, but I don't know that they they would have gotten as much use out of it. It would be empty space. It would be empty land. So from a venue standpoint – uh, and, and let's just face it, that's what it is. This is a venue, uh, and IndyCar decides to run their cars at this venue. So from a venue standpoint, you want to use 
things that are profitable to you. So the road course and the Grand Prix, especially as we heard yesterday in the leadership press conference, ticket sales are going back up. So it's kind of a – you have your ups and flows. You have your ups and downs. Uh, but it looks like it's on the uptick. So, I, no, I, in, in this particular case, I disagree with him on that. I think it's a hot take bus, but that's fine. Uh, we all get on that every every now and then. But so let's go ahead and – I agree and, with you on that scenario because, I mean, you're just wasting space if you're going to get rid of the IndyCar Grand Prix because other than that, uh, the vintage race would be the only race using that road course for the – which would include the Trans Am race there – but uh, beyond that, you're kind of just wasting time uh, with all the money uh, for creating that uh, circuit and the alterations, for instance, to Brickyard Crossing and all of that. So I don't know what you'd be gaining uh, by getting rid of the event. Well, yeah, it, <laughs> I mean, let's let's let's. I, I'm an IU guy. IU's not coming back. Bobby Knight's not coming back. Formula One is not coming back to IndyCar. So let's move on. Matt, we've got to get we got to get back on point here. So let's go. Uh, by, and, and by all means, I know you know the track better than anybody. Uh, by all means, if you're uh, tell us if you're a fan, where, where's the best place to watch this? Obviously, you want to look at it a little bit different than what you would the oval course. Take us turn by turn. If you were uh, driving the pace car, what would you be seeing ahead of you? Well, obviously, the place to be would be the end of the in the turn into the infield, which would be turn one, because we've seen drama there on the opening lap, and that's a very tight chicane. The end of Holland Boulevard is a place to look, and then also the snake pit area, the entrance into there, even though you know the buildings and the grandstands kind of uh, block the view there. If you're looking for the places to pass where the action is, those are probably the three places to go with maybe a favoritism toward uh, the main straightaway and the entrance in the infield and the end of Holman Boulevard being the top two spots uh, if you're looking for the action. Beyond that, uh, probably don't want to be in the main grandstands unless you're interested in the pit stops because really nothing happens on the main straightaways that you could see. And uh, going on beyond that, uh, I'd say if you're looking for the spots, the mounds in turn one and uh, the end of Holman Boulevard would be places to watch uh, if you're coming down there today. Let's talk a little bit about our rookie class, and uh, certainly we, we, we've talked about uh, Felix Rosenfex. we got Colton Herter we've talked about. Uh, we've also talked about uh, Marcus Harrison, uh, Santonio Ferrucci, <laughs> and Tino uh, Ferrucci. An award is our other rookie on today's uh, IndyCar Grand Prix. Talk with us about the 2019 rookie class. I think, obviously, we've seen the pace for Rosenquist and Herta. That's not a surprise. Erickson up there, I'd say, is a surprise, considering that he struggled with this car, even though he's an ex-Formula 1 driver. Uh, Ferrucci, I think the question right now is between the ears. Uh, can he get a clue of not only how to handle himself, but to handle things? I mean, he drives like every lap is the last lap and gets himself in trouble, and that's not how you drive uh, to competitive. I mean, it works well at qualified sometimes, but it doesn't work well at race trim. And it just seems like he's overdriving the car. Uh, the award, the uh, fact that he eliminated in round one a qualified surprised me. I would have thought that if there was a guy, another rookie that would have been in the top six, the Firestone Fast Six, Pato Award would have been the guy that there. I mean, Red Bull's junior team doesn't sign an award just because they think he's okay. They see a lot of potential. This is a guy that they see potentially being a uh, future Formula One driver in Pato Award. That's why the Red Bull Junior team has him right now or signed him earlier this week. 
So the fact that he was only 19th and qualified yesterday, I'd say, was a big disappointment, or probably the biggest disappointment of all the qualifiers that were down at the bottom of the list. You know, let's talk a little bit about Scott Dixon. I, I asked uh, Felix uh, yesterday in the press conference about what he's learned from being in the Chip Canasi camp. Obviously, Scott Dixon's one of the big ones, uh, but certainly there's a history with Chip Canasi in the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Uh, our, our, fa- our, our favorite Scottishman uh, is over there as a consultant. Uh, we've got Scott Dixon. And I asked him, I was like, you know, what have you learned? What have you mentored? And he went on to talk about, he's like, I wouldn't, can't pinpoint to one certain thing, but what I can tell you is just being around them is what I've what I've learned as well. So uh, Scott Dixon, uh, P2, obviously you've got uh, P1, the rookie out of Chip Kanaski, and P2, uh, Scott Dixon. What are your thoughts? Well, if not for the fish at Coda that was kind of ruined by the full-course caution, Scott Dixon would be leading the championship right now. I mean, he's third in points right now, just a few behind. Uh, the front runners at, uh, you know, looking into the month of May, and uh, things go the way I think they could go. He could easily be leading the championship uh, ahead of Newgarden and Rossi uh, after we get through the two races this month. But uh, I think the consistency is there. I mean, the guy is still going strong. I mean, we're talking this, the guy now at age 38, he'll turn 39 on July the 22nd of this year. But uh, there's a reason he's known as the Iceman. He keeps himself under control. Uh doesn't make the over-aggressive move unless the situation and the timing is right where it does not put himself at risk of getting taken himself out. And that's what you need is to be a competitor, not just the versatility, but the instinct to know when it's time to make the move and when it's time to hold your cards and keep them close to the vest. And that you will have that with the Scott Dixon. And that's why he wins championships, because he has the things and that controlling how to handle yourself better than most of the other drivers currently on the grid, if not that have run in the IndyCar Series since the exception in 1996. We're talking with Matthew Embry, WSVT of South Bend, our official IndyCar contributor. Joining us now is Steve Wilson, our partner in crime at the track uh, with Speedway Digest, editor-in-chief of Speedway Digest. Steve, uh, welcome aboard IndyCar uh, Grand Prix today. We're all about IndyCar, but we we will get in some NASCAR as well. Uh, we certainly appreciate your partnership with us, uh, the balance at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Uh, but uh, as we look back on the qualification from yesterday, uh, or, or any thoughts that you may have as we get into our second segment, uh, our second part of the show today, uh, but we're certainly focusing on the IndyCar Grand Prix. Go ahead, Steve. <laughs> well, I missed it. I mean, I did keep up with it a little bit on Twitter. Um I just think Chip Ganassi is strong. Um, I think they'll continue to be strong all through the month of May. Um, you know, Chip Ganassi has been struggling a little bit over on the NASCAR side, but, you know, they always seem to keep the same tempos over on the IndyCar side. And um, maybe at some point uh, some of that luck will actually rub off on uh, either uh, Kyle Larson or Kurt Busch in their uh, NASCAR team. So uh, I just think that we'll continue to talk about them. Um, all through the month of May. I don't, I don't think anything is really going to change. Um, I mean, there are a lot of other strong teams out there, but, you know, we always seem to talk about Chip Ganassi Racing, and um, I wish we talked about it more on the NASCAR side, to be honest with you, but, you know, it is what it is, and, you know, hopefully, like I said, some of that luck will rub off. <laughs> no, Steve, you look at the right. scenarios Go with ahead, uh, Ganassi, 
and you look at the multiple institutions that he's involved with, you know, IndyCar, sports car, NASCAR, is the fact that he has so many conglomerates under his tag, is that is that part of the reason why this team is struggling so badly currently in stock car racing at this point? Um, well, I mean, Penske is pretty much the same thing. I mean, he runs supercars down in Australia. He's got IndyCar teams. He's uh, He's got things all across the board. Um, so... I I I think you know we're we're talking you know Penske has a has a funding resource um, that's probably much stronger than Ganassi is at this point. I think that's part of the problem where you know Ganassi is spreading some of those uh, resources that they have a little too thin. Uh, they're maybe focusing primarily on the IndyCar series right at this point. Um, not that they aren't putting money in in, in their stock car program with Kurt Busch and uh, Kyle Larson, but. I mean, you, you just take a look at just the situation that Ganassi had last year with DC Solar, who was a major funding partner uh, with them both on their Cup Series side and in their Xfinity Series side, and uh, they they lost them because of legal uh, legal problems the company was having, and you know I think that damaged um, you know Ganassi on their stock car racing side to some degree. You take a look at Ross Chastain, who won last night and who was, uh, you know, tapped to run a full Xfinity Series season, and they had to totally shut down their Xfinity Series program just because of the fact of what happened with DC Solar. So, um, you know, going back to it, you know, Penske, Penske has manufacturing. Penske has a trucks, uh, you know, rental service. They, he's in all kinds of businesses other than just stock car racing. And while Ganassi does have outside resources. They just don't seem to be um, as many resources as you see with Penske and why you see Penske kind of at the top of their game in many different uh, forms of racing that they're in. And, uh, you know, if, if Ganassi were to diversify to some degree and uh, maybe bring in some more funding partners, I know that he has a partner with him over at Chip Ganassi Racing, but, uh, you know, he's a billionaire in his own right. So, um you know, I, I just don't see a lot of money being put into their stock car racing side versus what we see at a Penske race at this point. Steve, and uh, we'll, we'll ask you this question because we were kind of talking about this uh, before you came on, and, and uh, I know uh, Matt played played the clip, but basically the the statement was made that that IndyCar and IMS needs to get rid of the Grand Prix and just focus on the Indy 500. I disagree with that one because it's wasted space. Uh, two. Uh, because it does truly bring uh, the month of May uh, to Indianapolis, much like Daytona. You can equate the Indianapolis Motor Speedway to Daytona. Daytona does a full, almost, a, I think, a close to a full month, but certainly a couple weeks, uh, building up to the, the main Daytona 500. And, and here's the, the other th- reason that I think a lot of people don't like the Grand Prix or they don't like the road races. Uh, as Will Power said yesterday in the press conference, uh, People are just good, and it's very easy to have an all green, um, an all green race, and and it, it takes something pretty, pretty significant, a pretty significant crash, if you will, or whatever, to to get a full course car, ca- caution on a road course uh, because it's so spread out. So they can they can uh, a, a driver can go into the tires or into the grass and not cause a a caution, whereas in an oval they're going to going to the wall and but the the problem is that a lot of people think is that it's just like 
there's there's no passing there's no so what are your thoughts on the road courses and what are your thoughts about uh what we were talking about as far as uh ims getting rid of uh the ground free which is not something that i agree with it's not something matthew agrees with it and yesterday in the leadership uh press conference doug Bowles said you know ticket sales are up i mean the first year was magnificent because it was like we haven't had a second race so you had a lot of let's see what this is about and then you have your has your your slump in a couple of years but now that ticket sales are up because they're up higher than they've ever been except for the first year you said that yesterday so that tells me that that's an indicator that fans like to come to indianapolis in the month of may steve well i think it's indicative of the fact that i think you and i'm just going to equate this over to the nascar side at the same time that you know a lot of people um, you know, and in, in, in the soccer racing world, have kind of gravitated away from these 1.5 mile ovals, and they're really asking NASCAR to to add more road courses. They're asking NASCAR to add more uh, short tracks. And and one of the discussions that has been a part of this is is that you know stock cars at Indianapolis have never traditionally you know always put on the best racing. So people have said, well, why don't we just use the road course there? the same course that you guys are going to use in the Grand Prix. So um, I, I, I think, you know, when you, when you start looking at the mentality of the way that the, the tastes have changed both in, you know, IndyCar and in stock car racing to, totally, more people are asking for these road course races. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not necessarily a fan of road course racing. Um, it's just never something that I've been interested in. But there are a lot of people out there that like road course racing. And whereas you were talking about, you know, drawing a full course caution in, in IndyCar, I mean, anything pretty much in stock car racing, when we go to Sonoma or we go to Watkins Glen or, you know, we go to Mid-Ohio and some of these other road courses out there between the series, uh, you know, it's pretty much every time it's a full course caution for us. You know, you go into the you go into the rocks, you go into the tire barriers, whatever the case may be. It's a full course caution for us, regardless of the fact. Um, whereas there's some leeway in in open wheel racing and Formula One seems to have the same kind of mentality that not everything justifies a full course caution. Um, as far as IndyCar is concerned, I think it's just, you know, kind of just a prelude into the, the Indianapolis 500. Um, you talked about the Daytona 500 Speed Week. Uh, we have the Bush Clash. We have the Twins. We have other things that go on at Daytona before we get to the Daytona 500. And it's the build-up to the Daytona 500, just as this is the build-up in the month of May for IndyCar. So they equate the same way that fans are you're, – you're getting – you're going to bring fans out there that are going to like the oval racing. You're going to bring fans out there that like the road course racing. And sometimes you can cross-promote those two and say, well, you came out for the road course. Why don't you come back to the Indy 500 and see what the Indy 500 is all about? Or maybe those Indy 500 fans that have never been to a road course race or one there at Indianapolis, you can cross-promote to them and say, hey, why don't you come out and take a look at this? You may find a fan that, you know, then repeatedly comes back and it's a new revenue stream for the Speedway. So for getting getting rid of it, I don't think that they should do that. I think that it's just the build-up to the Indianapolis 500. It gives them an opportunity to cross-promote to fans of one style of racing versus another, and it, it, it's good to continue to, to look at new ways to bring fans into the sport, and I think that's a way to do so. 
Matthew, uh, let's go to you. Uh, obviously, one of the things that I want to talk about today is this huge, huge partnership. And uh, again, going back to the leadership uh, press conference history, Doug Bowles, and and then also head of a of events at IMS, uh, uh, NBC executive, and there were a couple other people there uh, on. Uh, with the leadership staff, Mark was there as well, uh, answering questions. But one of the things that was talked about extensively, uh, Kurt talked about it as well, Kurt Cavan, uh, as well in that, and he's certainly been one of the, the masterminds or, or behind the scenes guy, Kurt Cavan, those of you that don't know him was with the Indianapolis star for years. Uh, now is uh, one of the, uh, big wigs in the communication and uh, media world, uh, with IndyCar. He is uh, directly responsible after qualification and after the poll is set and, and getting them sent off to major markets to be on shows like uh, late night and be on Fox and friends and be on all of these different big uh, shows uh, to be on Ellen and all these other shows. Uh, Kurt's behind that. So he was one of the ones that helped put together this NBC deal. And I think it's great. I, I mean, I, I think ABC began to, to let IndyCar and IMS down in the city of Indianapolis down uh, the, the cross promotions, all kinds of things. You know, on, at the Kentucky Derby, watching the Kentucky Derby, I was seeing IndyCar spots uh, in the NFL this year. I was seeing IndyCar, uh, Indy 500 spots. So this this cross promotion and this NBC agreement, and like I said earlier, I've been on a track all weekend, and there's really nowhere I can't go where I don't see NBC Sports signage. Uh, and quite frankly, they have more of a team than I've seen anybody. I mean, literally, I think every second pit box they have a they have a pit reporter. They have it covered from top to bottom. They've got a big uh, of course, it's going to be on network TV today. Uh, so they have a big setup, and they've invested millions of dollars into this sport with, with IndyCar. So this partnership with NBC is huge. Matthew, let's talk about that, and what are your thoughts? Obviously, having NBC involved uh, and a partner that is interested in the race and the full series I think is key. I think ABC, even though they had been the sole provider for so many years, they just seem like their interest just waned every single year uh, beyond uh, the time NBC started or what was then versus took over majority of the broadcast for the IndyCar series. And uh, it, it's good to see that the Indy 500 is now being covered by a partner that uh, is interested and takes a serious look at this. Because let's face it, last year's TV rating wasn't even above one last year, Tom. That's scary for an Indy 500. No, I, I, I absolutely agree. Uh, Steve, what, what are your thoughts? We, we've seen this uh, the same sort of uh, partnership, if you will, with NBC. Uh, now, Fox is kind of going a little bit away from NASCAR. NBC is gobbling everybody up. And they, now they, they uh, have NBC Sports, as Matthew mentioned, uh, they took over. Versus they are really in the market of providing the best sports coverage, race coverage that's out there and available to anyone and everyone. Um, it kind of kind of hurts for the Canadian drivers, and that's a whole other thing. I mean, Canadian fans, that's a whole other gamut, unfortunately, and there's not much that can be done about that as, as the regulations are what they are. Uh, but these huge mega media partnerships do nothing, I think, do nothing but help and benefit the particular sport or the particular racing venture, whether it's NASCAR or IndyCar, Formula One or what have you. Go ahead, Steve. 
Well, I got two different thoughts on that. One, you know, NBC has a, it seems to have a strategic initiative in the fact that they want to cover motorsports racing, no matter what kind of motorsports racing it is. Uh, they they're covering Arcane in and modified series, although that it's there's some discussion as to why they tape delayed and play it ten, twelve days later and. You know, most people already know who won or read up on it, and they they just don't get the ratings that, you know, it justifies. But um, it it does go to the fact of, you know, they're looking to cover anything and everything sports and motorsports related particularly. Um, So to have one particular partner that's going to put that kind of money and that kind of attention into a sport is always good for the fans. The fan gets to see new things that they may not have seen in the past. They get new people that get to come out. They get to see new faces that have new opinions and new ways of covering the race. So, you know, these are net positives a lot of times for the race fan. Um, as to, you know, ABC and ESPN, well, we, we've known in the NASCAR world since the 90s, uh, right before the big partnerships between uh, Fox and TNT and, you know, other other providers that, you know, ESPN just really didn't seem to care, and their leadership just did not seem to care about motorsports racing. They were sticking ball. They wanted to stay sticking ball. They put most of their money and most of their initiatives in sticking ball, and their motorsports coverage really just, you know, waned a lot. In the, and this is even going back on our side all the way back into the 90s, which predicated the fact of why uh, ESPN just eventually said, okay, we're, we're just not interested in covering NASCAR anymore. You know, yeah, we've done it for 30, 35 plus years, but, you know, um, we're just not interested anymore. And NBC came in and took their spot, and, and they've been a partner within, you know, NASCAR uh, of racing for the last couple of seasons. Now, I say that because there are a lot of net positives into it, and it's a net positive both for fans and, and for the series, the tracks. Um, drivers and everybody because, you know, there's more money fluctuating into the sport. However, one of the biggest questions that continues to be had is that we understand sometimes how the TV industry works. And there's a lot of people out there that just don't have uh, cable television. So when they put these things on NBCSN or other, like, um, you know, for our instance, we've, we've had races put on CNBC and other networks that are on cable. Uh, fans miss out. So the question has become, well, why are the ratings down sometimes at these races? Well, that's why, is because that's one of the reasons that it is down, is because of the fact that they put these on cable television. Many people are cutting the cord. They're looking at alternatives, don't necessarily have NBCSN or CNBC or any of these other um, opportunities or other channels, and, and they only have, you know, over the air or whatever the case may be in their package. And that kind of has suffered a little bit on our ratings to some degree. And, you know, I I think NBC is trying to do and balance this in every way possible, but we all understand how the TV industry works. They can't always put it on, um, you know, broadcast television uh, every single weekend. And while the Indianapolis 500 is going to be on broadcast television, um, and, and rightfully it should be because it should maximize the audience out there, um, you know, we know things could happen. Things could rain out on, on, on a Sunday, and unfortunately on Monday they can't just put this thing on, on broadcast television. So, you know, there, there, you know, there are the positives, there are the negatives, but there's a lot of positives at, at the same time, and I think we'll see that 
as NBC continues to expand their coverage across all forms of motorsports. Matthew, let's talk a little bit about the Indianapolis 500, and we'll go back to – real quickly, though, uh, perception is reality, Matthew. And uh, you talk about your average fan that doesn't really understand TV broadcasting, doesn't really understand what they're watching, and you just know they're seeing this with some race cars. Uh, but here's the thing. As we know about the road course, the majority of the fans are going to be located differently at a different location. Is it going to have the attendance the Indianapolis 500 is? No, of course not. But – the perception is when you run it on main TV, NBC, this has kind of been the struggle. Why? Why? I think this was the first time ever that the Grand Prix has actually been on major network television. The perception is there's a lot of empty seats. There's nobody watching this race. Why am I even bothering? That's not the reality because of the way that the road course is set up. And as you mentioned earlier, over off of Hallman Boulevard and the good viewing areas, that's where the fans congregate because they want to see the action on the track. So perception is reality. But then you have the other part going to the follow-up question on that, Matt. The Indy 500 is never broadcast here in the local market. It's the only place in, in the world that you can't see it live on television because it's tradition. And people love listening to it on the radio. I, I, I'm good friends with a lot of people in the IndyCar radio network. Jake Query's a good guy. I've known him for many years. Uh, is a turn announcer. Uh, so certainly there's something to be said. They do a fantastic job of broadcasting the Indy 500. I'm guilty. I've got the, the, the I'm at the track. I'm watching the race, and I still have the the radio broadcast in my ear. So there's something traditionally about that. So I get that. But do you think we've come to a time, Matthew? And you can answer both of these questions at the same time. But do you think we've come to a time where it's time to broadcast the Indianapolis 500 live? And do you think that's something that NBC and Indianapolis Motor Speedway will come to an agreement on? Not this year, Until obviously. Until the Indy 500 is consistently selling out, I would say the answer to that, and I know a lot of fans in Indianapolis want to like me saying this, no, it's not going to happen. Until Doug Bowles has the assurance that this race will sell every seat, every ticket, he's not going to pull that ban off. And that's how they've always done it with Tony George, how Tony Hallman saw it. Uh, even Jeff Belskis, et cetera, until they are consistently selling out the entire track, uh, I don't think that uh, TV uh, delay, tape delay is going to be removed anytime soon. No, and I agree. I mean, but we've gotten real close. I mean, last year was hot as hell. I mean, it was miserable. Thank God for the media center. Uh, I was spoiled that day. I was in the air conditioning there for the most part, uh, you know, as much free water as I could possibly get to, and stayed hydrated. But it was close to a sellout if it wasn't a sellout. So we're getting there. But you're right. Consistency uh, says a, a huge thing. All right, guys, let's get into back into our track and action today. Uh, Steve, uh, we went through all 24 uh, drivers uh, earlier. Uh, Matt went through his gridatology. Obviously, you're with Speedway Digest. Your focus point a lot of times is NASCAR, but this is IndyCar. Uh any thoughts on any particular driver, any particular stable, any particular team, any thoughts that you want to chime in, then we'll get into a little bit of NASCAR talk uh, before we have to wrap it up and put a bowl on it. Go ahead, Steve. Um, <laughs> um, no, I don't have any, any, anything useful to add. Guy, right? Right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that guy, you know, let's, let me go, uh, let me go get a bingo ball and, you know, I'll, I'll pick a, I'll pick a number out. How about that? 
<laughs> oh, that's fine. I, I know you focus on NASCAR. Matthew uh, focuses on uh, IndyCar, Formula One, uh, pretty much anything with uh, with wheels. Uh, uh, Matthew's uh, Matthew's all about it. Matthew, give us some final thoughts here on today's race. Uh, so final input and storylines, and we're going to get into some NASCAR talk before we have to move on to other things. Go ahead, Matthew. Well, I'd say right now, if you're if Felix Rosenquist is ever going to break through for an Indy, first IndyCar win, today would be the perfect time. The conditions suit, but uh, you look ahead and a little primer as we switched over to uh, NASCAR. I tell you what, Steve, SHR looks super strong. I mean, qualifying one, two, three, and four at Kansas yesterday, seriously? Yeah, I mean, it, it's good. I mean, they, they, they need to break through this season. They haven't. We haven't been talking about them like we have in the past. Uh, I think it was like last year it was like one in three or one in four races. We were talking about somebody over there in that stable going to victory lane. And aside from Kevin Harvick going to victory lane in the twins back in February, um, they've been kind of a wash. So maybe they're turning, they're, they're turning this thing over and, you know, they've been competitive. I'm not saying that they haven't been competitive. I mean, we've, we've seen Clint Border, Kevin Harvick, both of them uh, running very well. Daniel Suarez has, Come come up a lot since he moved over from JGR into SHR. He's running more competitively now than we've seen him run in the past. Um, but you know, as a whole, we we haven't talked about this organization on a one three or one to four week basis. I mean, it, it was pretty common that you know we were talking about Kevin Harvick at least once a month last year. And you know, aside from some polls and back in you know back in uh, uh, February, we we've not had the, the time, and maybe this is just a package that everybody needs a chance to, to work through the package, and others have seemed to be really good at this. Penske Racing has been one that's been been able to uh, capitalize on this package, and, uh, you know, um, but, you know, they, they're turning, to, they're like everybody else. It's an ebb and flow in this sport, and, uh, and maybe the ebb is coming up again. And then We're you see further Matt. down the list, like Kyle Busch and Denny Hamlin not qualifying so well, also Chase Elliott. Is the fact that now they are locked in, is it more that these races are test sessions looking ahead to the chase itself, or is it just they haven't figured out the setup here at Kansas, and uh, that's why they're further down the list? Is it a mix of both, or is it one thing you know glaring over both? I think it can be a mix a little bit sometimes. I mean, we heard back uh, earlier this year after break, as well, he went to victory lane at, at Atlanta that, you know, they said that, oh, now Penske Racing kind of turned the, turn the corner and say, well, let's test some new things out. Let's try some new parts that we wouldn't necessarily go as aggressive on as if we were trying to chase down a win or chase down to get into the playoffs later this year. Um, you know, JGR is no different than any other team, to be honest with you. They, they do the same exact things um, that everybody else does, that when their drivers are locked in, yes, they're going to go and be competitive as they can be, but sometimes they're going to be very aggressive because these tracks that we're going to, we're going to start seeing them in the playoffs yet again. So they're trying new things that they ne- necessarily wouldn't take the opportunities to do if they weren't already locked in. So, you know, um, but at the same time, you know, Kyle Bush and Denny Hamlin, uh, you know, the Kansas has not always been a track that they've been good at. I, I think their teammate, uh, Martin Truex Jr., has been the one that has really mastered these 1.5-mile racetracks over at Frontier Row Racing, and now that he's at JGR, I think that maybe turn maybe some of that will, you know, the data that they acquired at uh, Frontier Row will maybe help them. But then again, at the same time, like I said, I really think a lot of this 
is them trying new parts, new pieces, new setups, new ideas, and, and going a little bit more aggressively or trying new things that they necessarily wouldn't do, um, just primarily in the fact that they're locked in and, you know, Denny Hamlin with two wins already this season and Kyle Busch, you know, already in victory lane to his own self. I think, you know, this is just something that they're going to uh, uh, continue to work on, especially when I think we'll continue to see it at tracks like this, Kansas, you know, particularly because we are, it's a playoff track. And, you know, when they get to some of the uh, these other tracks that we're about to come up to uh, at the same time. So I wouldn't necessarily worry about it just give them the opportunities to do what they got to do and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how when they come back to Kansas or some of these other tracks and, you know, September and beyond, you know, where they are compared to today. We're talking with Steve Wilson of Speedway Digest, editor-in-chief of Speedway Digest, and uh, Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor. Uh, we're getting into our NASCAR uh, talk here. We do want to get to, to the uh, Kansas storylines and so forth, but as uh, Steve, as you and I typically do, we kind of like to just do a quick run-through of all the series. Uh, we'll start with the truck series. Obviously, uh, Ross Ch- Chastain wins uh, the uh, Gander Trucks race at Kansas last night. Good to see somebody rather than Kyle Busch win a truck race. Just saying. And- <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was, that was a very exciting race the last night with the Truck Series. But then again, the Truck Series never disappoint no matter where they go to. But, you know, Ross Chastain is just I, – I think we all think that he's a robot at this point. He's run every single National Series event over three different series this year. Last night was 28 National Series events. He's going to run his 29th tonight in, in the Cup Series at Kansas uh, you know, Ross Chastain, we talked about him a little bit earlier about Ganassi, and he won last year with Ganassi at Las Vegas. He had an opportunity at Darlington before his contact with Kevin Harvick. Um, you know, this this guy, when you put him in good equipment, um, he just impresses. And Nice Motorsports, who he was driving for last night, when they came on the scene, they were one of those back Barker teams. We never talked about them. They went to the garage very often. But Al Nice and everybody over there, has put more money into it. They've hired engineers. They've partnered up with GMS Racing, which is one of the strong uh, uh, truck teams within the sport and using some of their resources. And Ross Chastain in uh, the truck series and every single truck series he raced that he's run this year, he's finished in top inside of the top 10 except for one time, which was 11. So him going to victory lane, uh, last night, uh, had, uh, I think it was no surprise. It was just a matter of when it was going to happen. Although I kind of feel bad for Stuart Friesen. That guy has finished second in the truck series I don't know how many times and running out of gas with one lap to go. And, and, and I think that dashed his, uh, his uh, opportunities uh, to go to victory lane last night. And that was all predicated on the fact of a bad pit stop where it was miscommunication supposed to be a four-tire stop. It was only two tires. As soon as they dropped the track, they didn't have enough fuel in the truck. He ended up running out of gas, like I said, with uh, one lap to go, which sent Ross Chastain. And I think that either way, um, you know, those two were going to battle it out all the way to the end, regardless of the fact whether Freezing ran out of fuel or not. And uh, um, I, I think people have to continue to look at Ross Chastain. And I think at some point, somebody's going to, you know, Chip Ganassi or, you know, who he's still under a driving contract for if funding is found. Somebody's going to pop up and say, hey, I want this guy in a car full time, um, and I want him to run for a championship. 
Well, absolutely. You know, uh, in, in, in Matthew, we'll get your, your thoughts on this, too, because it kind of bleeds over us with the Indy Light Series. The Indy Light Series doesn't run quite as often as the Xfinity Series goes, but it's certainly a developmental league, and the, and the road to Indy isn't always a, like like we see here at, at Indianapolis this weekend in the month of May, where all the, 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 uh, the, the, the uh, series are running together. Uh, and obviously, NASCAR has their multiple uh, developmental leagues, but the closest uh, to the 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 is the Xfinity series and this year we've seen a huge increase in I think it's okay I'm kind of mixed feelings about it like so for example uh guys uh Xfinity doesn't run again until the 25th of May whereas we just had the truck race last night as we talked about so oftentimes that was kind of the way that the trucks were kind of sporadically uh scheduled out it seems like we're seeing less Xfinity it feels like we're seeing less Xfinity uh, uh, races than we have in the past, but maybe that's not not the case. Maybe it's just a perception. But um, Matthew, how important is it to get these developmental drivers as many races as possible and as much coverage as possible? Because as we just talked about with funding, and that's a huge issue, especially in IndyCar, probably more so than other series, but IndyCar drivers they pretty much have to go out there and find sponsors and find money and bring money to the table if they want to ride. It's not it's not up to the Chip Kineskis or the Penskis to say, "Hey, uh, we're gonna we're gonna fund your ride." No, you you come to the table with a sponsor that you've built, some money on the table that you've got some skin in the game, and we'll talk. Uh, so how hard is that? We don't talk a lot about the developmental series as, as we get into – as we talk into NASCAR and IndyCar, Matthew. But what are your thoughts about giving them more track coverage, more track time, more network coverage, and so forth? Actually, it'd be nice if I had my microphone on there. There I we go. I was going to say uh, – Indy Lights right now <laughs> is not does not have any live races other than the Freedom 100. I mean, they are tape delay races sometimes a week or more beyond the actual time they are run. And unless you're a diehard like I do, where I listen to all the races on the Internet, uh, I don't have pictures, I don't have NBCSN, but for the people that don't want to listen to audio, uh, it's tough to view these events, unlike for Xfinity, but the thing that's affecting the Xfinity series, the reason why they've had to cut it back on events, is teams are running out of money. They are struggling to fill fields with competitive cars and uh, discouraging teams uh, from just showing up and, you know, running a few laps and then parking it. Uh, I think right now uh, the ability to find, you know, a full flight of teams uh, and Xfinity and in truck has been a big bugaboo, and it's certainly a factor in cup. But uh, I think if you look at uh, driver development, they're doing a better job than I'd say an Indy Lights is with IndyCar, because I think you could say, realistically, I think if Steve could back me up on this, you've got guys like Christopher Bell, Cole Custer, uh, even maybe even Austin Sindrick, who you look at their uh, profiles, and I think those are guys that are ready to make the step up to uh, the Monster Energy Cup Series uh, within the next year or two. You, I can't say that about any of the drivers currently in Indy Lights at this point, Tom. Well, no, absolutely. And Matthew, I mean, uh, Steve, let's get your thoughts on that. Uh, we see a lot of NAS- Xfinity Series, and we know that there's other developmental series that you may want to talk about with NASCAR. Uh, but it feels like we're not seeing as much Xfinity Series 
Uh, what are your thoughts on that? We'll get into the Kansas storylines. Go ahead, sir. I think it goes back to exactly what I was saying earlier about the the fact of TV partners. These, <clears throat> aside from Daytona um, and maybe one or other two races down the line, uh, these have all been put on FS1. These are this is a channel that if you don't have a cable subscription or satellite subscription or or one of the new streaming packages from the various providers that provide FS1, um, you've kind of been locked out in the fact of you know not seeing these truck races or not seeing these Xfinity series races. And I think like it, it, it kind of at the same time it hurts. <clears throat> excuse me, it hurts the the uh, TV viewership that that is potentially tuning in. Uh, last night was a great race to watch a truck series event. Unfortunately, it's a Friday night. It's during prime time. And again, just like TV works, um, you know, Fox couldn't open up a spot on, on, on their broadcast television uh, to, to slide that in there. I mean, it was unfortunately uh, put on FS1. And sometimes, you know, we hear it covering, covering NASCAR all the time. You know, oh, I would love to be able to see that race, but unfortunately, I don't have either the TV package or I don't have the streaming package, or maybe I've just totally cut the cord, and, and you know, I have an antenna in my house, so you know, I didn't get to see it. So I have to, uh, you know, wait until later on and read about it or watch uh, watch it on, um, you know, uh, 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 you know, YouTube. Sometimes these, you know, NASCAR will put these races out on YouTube for people to watch. Um, or maybe people just uh, you know tune in to MRN you know for for that. So mm-hmm. um, I think it just comes back to the fact that you know is there a fine balance somewhere for this? Um, I, I don't know because I'm not I'm not a TV person. I, I I can't control the TV, but you know I we hear it all the time from lots of different people. Um, you know about about these various regular series that are lower than a cup series and they're not always put. Uh, on accessible television, and, you know, it's just the nature of the beast sometimes, and, you know, we can't fault the TV partners. We can't fault NASCAR. You really, it's just how it all works out, unfortunately, and, you know, while we would like it all to be on, you know, television that everybody could watch every single week, it's just not possible. No, I agree. I'm a cord cutter myself, but I'm still connected. And my Apple TV, that's the best investment that anybody can make. I mean, because if you've got an Apple phone, if you've got the ability to stream it on your phone, you can stream it on your Apple TV and it's there. You don't have to worry about uh, the rabbit ears or whatever. Uh, So yeah, a little selfless promotion for them and maybe they'll give me some advertising dollars. But yeah, there's, there's all kinds of easy ways to watch races if you want to. I think maybe it comes down to the actual want to uh, because it is so easy to to uh, stream anything that you want to watch these days, whether it be on your phone, your tablet, your your iPad, or, or what I do is I just stream it and cast it onto my Apple TV, and there it is. So it's real easy to do, but maybe people just don't want to be that connected, and so it is what it is. We could have that discussion all day long. You know, we talked about Kyle Busch not being the storyline of the truck race, Steve. But he's still going to be a storyline of Kansas. Uh, Kyle Bush likes himself some Kansas. Uh, yes, you are back in Kansas. I was trying to find the Wizard of Oz uh, uh, comparison there, but just couldn't make it happen. But maybe a lot of people think that uh, um, uh, people want a house to fall on Kyle Bush. She got knew I'd get there. I got there. Kyle Bush obviously has a great history there at Kansas, Steve. Yeah, it does, and you know, just you know, starting positions sometimes really doesn't mean anything in this sport. Um, you know, especially for Kyle Busch. I don't know. 
how many times have we seen him uh, start at the back, go to the back, uh, whatever the case may be, and work his way all the way to the front and end up winning these events. So, you know, this, this is spread across all three national series with him. Um, he's not done it once or twice or even a half a dozen times. I mean, he's done this on many, many occasions. So for a driver, I think, you know, it's, you know, sometimes I think, you know, to be honest with you, and this is just my personal opinion, this this isn't a fact in any means. Sometimes I think that Kyle Busch just likes to start uh, further down in the field to see just how competitive he can be and and, kind of see if he can work himself out of that hole. And that's just kind of my perception of this. And, again, it's not a fact. Nobody has ever said that to me. I just think sometimes he likes to do this, to toy with the field uh, to some degree. And and, and while there are tracks out there that, you know, he's just traditionally not very good at. I mean, he never has had good starting positions, never had good finishing positions. But I think there's just tracks that – Sometimes I just think that he does it to toy with the field and give people something to talk about. Um, and that's just kind of my personal opinion on that. Um, is Kansas a place that he would risk doing that? I don't necessarily think so. Uh, it's hard to pass at Kansas. Even with the new packages, I think that we're going to see some spread out racing and we're going to see cars seconds apart. Clean air is going to continue to be a factor all night long in this race as we go from dusk to, to uh, 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 you know, nighttime, even with some rain maybe factored in at some point. Um, I, I think it, it's a tough place to pass sometimes, and, and starting deep in the field is not really a place you want to toy with the field to some degree. But, you know, I I, I think that, again, maybe there's there's – I think for him – I don't think it really matters, but yes, he he's going to be strong tonight. We're going to talk about him at some point, and um, I if if you had to put him on a short list of one or two or three, you'd probably want to put him on that list for sure. Uh, Matthew, uh, certainly uh, we're familiar with his brother Kurt on the IndyCar side. Obviously, he did the double a few years back. Uh, but the Kurt, uh, the, the Bush brothers, uh, you either love or hate them. Uh, they, they, either, there's no going in between. The fans either hate the Bush brothers or they absolutely love the Bush brothers. There is no in between ground there with them. But what are your thoughts, Kyle Bush, Kansas? Kyle Bush is just a dominating force. In, in NASCAR, stock car uh, is certainly the truck series. Won more truck races than anybody in history. Uh, what are your thoughts on Kyle Busch? And then we'll get into uh, some of these uh, storylines and, and starting lineup, guys. But go ahead, uh, uh, Matthew. And yet, despite that, he only has one series championship next to his name. I still think uh, he needs to win a couple more championships. Uh, I mean, yeah, all the race wins, they're great. But they don't mean much if you don't win titles. And uh, I think that's the one thing that you're going to look at with Kyle Busch is what if. If he had won and had the same kind of commitment through an entire season, uh, I think he would be have more than just one series title next to his name at uh, this point of his career. Uh, Steve, let's talk a little bit about the track at Kansas. It's a fast track. I like it. Uh, it's also a track where the wall likes to kiss you. And uh, Kyle Larson and Bowman both had some makeout sessions in practice uh, there at Kansas. Talk with us a little bit about uh, the track at Kansas. 
Well, the track continues to age. It becomes more porous as it's continued to age. In the Midwest, you know, the sun has beat down onto it. The tires are going to be a concern, um, you know, and, and we're going to see tires like uh, potentially blow. Uh, we saw this last night in the truck series race. Um, there were tires um, that were not through contact just blew out in the race. Now it's not as prevalent as a place like Atlanta that we go to, and that track is just really just tore up and really old and 20-plus years uh, on, on a racing surface. But tires are going to continue to be a concern all night long, and that's how you get these drivers, especially drivers like Kyle Larson, who loves to run just inches away off the wall. And maybe that he does that because if the tire blows, it's not as hard of a hit if you're running on the bottom. But... Uh, you know, it, it's a potential for disaster, and, you know, Kyle Larson has joked about this on several occasions over the last couple of weeks about how often he's crashing and how he would like to turn this thing around, and he even joked about it yesterday and in the fact that he said something about uh, his harness, uh, his um, uh, his harness device. Uh, somebody asked a question about that, and he, he made a joke about he. Uh, he uses uh, a different style version than many other people, and uh, it's worked out great for him because he crashes a lot. So, <laughs> he, again, you know, we're, we, hopefully Carl uh, Larson uh, will turn the tide shortly. Uh, and, and, again, I think Chip Ganassi, if, if they can uh, – Carl Larson is a great race car driver. He just needs some – I guess he needs to temper it down because I, I think he's still used to running some of those – uh, sprint cars, you know, like you run a sprint car, you can't really necessarily do that with a stock car sometimes, and maybe that's why he hasn't gone to victory lane as many times as, you know, we would like to see him go to victory lane, but, um, you know, it's going to be a concern. I think there's other concerns. Like I said, I've been pointing out that there's weather in the area that may potentially impact the race. Um, you know, we got a good chance to get this race in, but, you know, if not, uh, you know, we're going to see a whole lot of drivers scurrying around and doing a whole lot of crazy things that we wouldn't normally see them to, uh, to get in position, providing that we can make it to the uh, second stage tonight. Well, it's the Digital Alley 400 at Kansas. The Kansas Speedway is the next uh, spot for the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series. Uh, Saturday night races, you got time to watch the IndyCar Grand Prix and then uh, get, get on over to uh, um, uh, MRN, Sirius XM, NASCAR Radio, FS1, all of those are where you can find it at. Uh, uh, with plenty of action on the track, uh, and, we'll, and we'll certainly be following the Speedway uh, Digest as well. So, uh, let's talk a little bit, uh, Matthew. Go ahead. Feel free to chime in. Ask. Uh, we'll just kind of have some open dialogue here, uh, Matthew. Feel free to ask uh, uh, Steve anything about NASCAR. Steve, feel free to ask Matthew anything about IndyCar. But go ahead, uh, uh, Matthew. You are up on the docket, sir couple of the new drivers obviously trying to fill the field. Uh, for those of people, how about uh, Bailey Curry and Quinn Hoff? Where do they come from, uh, the couple of new uh, guys that have uh, joined the grid here the last couple of weeks? Uh, so Quinn, uh, Quinn Hoff is from, from my state in Virginia, and uh, he, he's been a late model driver around here for quite some time. Uh, he, he's been off and on through the National Series events. <coughs> Excuse me again. He's been in the uh, three national series events over the last couple of years. He's never really 
at anything full time or very any competitive. Um, he's going to be, uh, you know, Spire Sports, uh, excuse me, Spire Motorsports, who bought out uh, an existing charter last year on an auction, has been fielding this number 77 car. Um, they've been fielding different drivers throughout, um, you know, the year because the the charter requires that they field a car, uh, in every single event. Uh, and, and that's why we're seeing some drivers that, you know, are necessarily um, not as competitive because they don't have the, the funding behind them or they just, um, they, they've just never been very competitive, but they need somebody in that car. And at this point, you know, they're, they're trying to build this team and they're trying to build this team through the way um, many other teams have gone through this by bringing in unnamed unknown drivers sometimes these are drivers that don't have a very long racing resume uh full-time racing um but fill in you know here and there and you know get a car sometimes to the finish and uh when they don't it's usually because of mechanical issues and you know that's what we're seeing a lot with bailey curry with quinn house um both of them um you know fielding that 77 car this year at various different um points and uh yeah, hopefully that they turn the page. Hopefully that those guys invest some more money into it um, because, you know, we having a chartered vehicle like that running around um, sometimes 15, 20, 30 laps down, um, you know, way off the pace last, year, last week, that car uh, with Quinn House in the car was parked because of uh, speed issues that couldn't maintain speed. But, uh, you know, that, that's kind of where we're seeing the, some of the drivers like talking about Bailey Curry and uh, Quinn House coming from right now. And how you is got the anything? thing right now? We talked about the charter being kind of being a you know a bugaboo for thing. How about the non-chartered entry? Has there still been an increased interest from teams that are unwilling to you know cough up the cash for a charter to participate and possibly enter events? Um, in some events, yes. Um, we're seeing this uh, in the Daytona 500. We're seeing, we'll probably see this in the Cook Golf 600, and you know some of these other events that um, pay decent amounts of money. You know that that a team can go out there, field a car, and not necessarily lose any money, not necessarily make a whole lot of money either, just because the way the structure is of the charters, they they have a bigger piece of the pie, uh, regardless of where they finish. Um, but, you know, we've seen car counts down in the Cup Series. Um, we've, we've been running right at that edge of 36, 37, 38 pretty much every week. Uh, we've got 40 this week, so there's there's a couple non-charter car, cars in there. Um, you know, Premium has been one of these um, teams that has uh, uh, not brought chartered cars to the track, but um, it's, it's remained steady um, as far as this is concerned, but you know the charter. <clears throat> the charter isn't always the biggest barrier into the to the Cup Series. The Cup Series is is not only very competitive, but it's very expensive. And I think that's the way that we want the Cup Series to be, um, with or without the charter, because um, these are supposed to be the premier series drivers in the world, and they should be driving premier series type equipment and while that's not always the the level playing field that motorsports says that they're on you know there are the haves and the have-nots and even in the premier series we have the haves and the have-nots you know regardless of whether you have a charter or not we have a lot of chartered teams out there that have acquired charters because they were part of the initial charters and didn't cost them anything 
or they bought it very cheap through auctions. And these teams are a lot of have-nots. But <clears throat> it's expensive to be in the Cup Series, and we kind of want it to be like that. And, you know, while sometimes we're not getting 42, 44 cars show up to qualify, um, if we do away, and I think a lot of fans feel this way, if the charters have done away with some of these teams that show up, run one lap and go park and don't qualify, then I think we're okay with kind of, you know, having some of those teams not show up anymore. Steve, I talk with you a little bit about Kevin Harvick. If you're a Kevin Harvick fan and you're and you're looking at last year and you're looking at this year, I mean, are, are we getting nervous? I mean, he hasn't had a win. And for that perspective, uh, he had multiple wins this time last year. Um, maybe Kansas will do him well, but is there something that we need to read into the tea leaves? Should we be nervous or should we just say, Relax, everything's going to be okay. And, and we, we get in the habit of drivers like we use Kevin Harvick as an example because he's the most recent to the memory to have multiple wins to not get the championship. Obviously, he got the championship back in 2014. Uh, but if you're a Kevin Harvick fan, you're not in the garage and, and uh, not seeing the data. Not You're just a fan. You just like to watch a driver come out. We, we overanalyze everything. I mean, we look at the data. We look at, we look at the, 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 the stuff that's being imported from the cars. We look at fuel mileage. We look at t- you and I and Matt. That's what we do. We understand what's going on. But the average fan, all they want to do is turn the TV on or go to the race and see their driver and call it a day. Kevin Harvick isn't winning races. Uh, well, neither is Martin Truex Jr. Aside from Richmond a couple of weeks ago, um, you know, last year we talked about the big three, Kyle Busch, Kevin Harvick, and Martin Truex Jr. Again, you know, we were talking about those drivers. Uh, you know, those drivers accounted for more than 50% of the wins last year between three different drivers. You know, NASCAR, when they built this new package out, they they were looking to get away from that. They they know that they, it goes back to the mentality of when Dale Earnhardt ran in NASCAR, and he would win, and he would win, and he would win a championship, and he'd win some more. And while those were those Dale Earnhardt fans out there that were diehard and black number three going to victory lane on a consistent basis, there was a just as big of strong of a contingent of people that says, I'm tired of seeing the number three go to victory lane every week. So, you know, NASCAR fans really haven't changed over the years. When Kyle Busch goes to victory lane, we hear the same time. Oh, look, it's Kyle Busch in victory lane again. Last year, we used to hear the same thing. When Kyle Busch, Martin Truex Jr., and Kevin Harvick, like, well, why isn't anybody else winning? So NASCAR tried to change these packages up to making these cars more difficult to race open the field up so that more people could potentially go to victory lane. And I think that's exactly what we're seeing in the package. Are there problems with the package? Yes. I, you know, NASCAR has admitted there's some issues with the package and they're working to make it better. But overall, we're seeing different drivers going to victory lane. For Denny Hamlin, for example, he's been to victory lane twice this year already in the Daytona 500. Um, you know, he went winless last year. We didn't hardly talk about Denny Hamlin last year except for the fact of Oh, Lord, he's in a wreck again. Oh, he didn't go to victory lane this week. Is he going to win this year? He's got five whatever number of races left in the year. This year we're talking about new drivers. And I think that just because Kevin Harvick and Kyle Busch and, and Martin Truex Jr. aren't going to victory lane every three or four weeks, 
uh, I think that's okay. I think we're opening the field up. I'm glad to see more drivers going to victory lane. Uh, are there teams out there that have figured this package out? Yes, there are teams out there that have figured this package out. Penske Racing being one of them, uh, JGR being another one of them. Um, you know, the Chevrolet camp, unfortunately, hasn't been able to be as competitive as we would like to see them. Hendrick Motorsports is, you know, just not as competitive. Richard Shields Racing isn't as competitive uh, on the Chevrolet teams. This year, it's been Ford and Toyota. And just because they're not going, Kevin Harvick isn't going to victory lane isn't necessarily a factor or, or, or how this whole season is going to be. I think he's on the cusp. He went there in the Twins, but again, that was using old rule packages. There's a lot of teams out there that are still acquiring data. Uh, I think this weekend with Stuart Haas Racing, one, two, three, four, we've seen Stuart Haas Racing in the top top five, uh, top ten. Clint Boyer has run competitively this year. Um, and, and it's just a matter of time before they go to Victor Lane. And again, it's acquiring the data. And, and sometimes Stuart Haas Racing has been, you know, been one of the top tier Ford teams over the last couple of seasons since they moved over from Ford. Um, and I, I, I just think that, you know, they're they're going to go to Victor Lane. Kevin Harvick is going to go to Victor Lane. I think a lot of people thought as soon as he went to Phoenix, that Phoenix has been attracted. He's gone to countless times, been on a bind had to win to get into the to move on either into the playoffs or whatever the case may be. And he would go to Victory Lane and we didn't see that. So, you know, I don't I think it's necessarily that uh not necessarily anything that he's doing wrong. I think it's just the team at SHR and Ford as a whole, just like everybody else, is trying to acquire the data to find out what these new packages are going to do at these various different racetracks and tracks that somebody has been traditionally good at in, in the past doesn't equate to being good at now that we have a new package and we've got more horsepower on these cars. We've got less horsepower at some racetracks. We've got different um, uh, 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 downforce rates in these cars. So that changes the way that some of these drivers run. So they, you know, Kevin Harvick, they may run a particular line back at Phoenix with the old package. Maybe can't run that line anymore because he's got more horsepower at Phoenix than he has in the past. So maybe that, that took away from the fact of him winning. Uh, there's a lot of different things that go into this, to be honest with you. But as far as Kevin Harvick uh, uh, is concerned, don't be concerned at all because eventually he's going to go to victory lane this season. So there's no problems with that. Well, that's good to hear. All right, Matthew, uh, guys, we've got to wrap it up and put a bowl on it. And uh, guys, uh, our fans that have listened to us every week are like, and I'm going to use uh, Steve's word, stick and ball. Where's my balls and where's my stick? Hey, we're going to get back to your balls here in just a minute here. Uh, NBA finals coming up. We'll do a recap on that. Well, I should say I will. I know these guys probably didn't want to hang around for that. Uh, so, But today has been dedicated to the IndyCar Grand Prix. I, I'm obviously going to wrap up the show here. I'm going to be headed down to 16th in Georgetown, check in the media center there, and uh, so you can follow us on social media, and, and we'll certainly make sure that we uh, at Speedway Digest and at Matthew on, on everything as well. Appreciate the partnership that Speedway Digest is doing with us uh, at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. But we'll start with you, Matthew. Final thoughts and words of wisdom as we go into race day, and then we'll go to you, Steve, and we got to uh, talk a little bit about, well, NBA, duh. Go ahead, Matthew. Well, I'll be very quick on this. Uh, M-A-T-T-M-B-U-R-Y on Twitter. And after Fast Friday, I will produce my final gridatology list and big board. And there could be some massive changes if someone uh, drops some big numbers on the non-toe uh, qualifying lap list. But uh, next weekend, it's going to be very interesting to see uh, who grabs the brass wing and uh, the $100,000 for the pole award. 
But uh, for IndyCar today, I think, uh, like I said, if Rosenquist is going to have a chance to win a race this year, today would be the day. The conditions suit. Absolutely. And Matthew, I'm looking forward to uh, connecting with you at the, the track next week. Uh, we always hang out on, on qualifications and stuff at the track and always enjoy hanging out with you. So I'll see you next uh, weekend at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Uh, Steve Wilson, uh, final thoughts or words of wisdom of Kansas, uh, Kansas. Or, or anything uh, that you'd like to add to the conversation, sir? Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. Um, I think uh, Kansas is going to be a good race tonight. I think it's going to produce some exciting racing, like the, um, particularly like we saw last night. And uh, while uh, I may catch a few of the uh, any grand period later on today, um, I don't know. I don't really have any thoughts on that. I'll have to watch it to 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 formulate some thoughts for the rest of the month of May. So I sound actually educated. Hey, that's fine. I'll be down there uh, as, again, a partnership with you, and I'll uh, make sure that I have uh, at least one article posted post-race. Uh, I've been doing a recap of today. And, of course, on social media and uh, Facebook, we'll have stuff posted all day long. So all you got to do is, is just, as you already do, follow me. You know you know, I'll keep you in the loop, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> all, right. all right, buddy. We'll talk with you soon. Thanks. Take care. Steve Wilson, Speedway Digest. Uh, again, appreciate the partnership that we have with them with the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Uh, we provide each other with content, and it, it just works out. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a marriage that works. And so uh, we help him uh, get some content for him, and then he helps us get some content with for us, and so it all works out. But. Uh, Great to talk with Matthew Embry, uh, our official IndyCar contributor. And uh, so today's the IndyCar uh, Grand Prix. And uh, real quickly, guys, we're going to go through the, the uh, NBA Finals. I know that uh, we, we you guys weren't expecting this. We, we typically are, are on it as far as our social media advertising and stuff goes and what the content's going to be. But it's been quite busy this weekend. So uh, we did not get that done, so I do apologize. But we'll be back on – on that course, no pun intended, next week. Uh, but, of course, next Sunday uh, we'll be down at the uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway as we begin to get ready for the 103rd running of the Indianapolis 500. Now, guys, do you remember – now, just just so you know, remember, as I always say, I'm on loan from God. I know these things. I told you the Bucks are going to win the East. I told you the Bucks are going to go to the NBA championship – People still called me crazy. Still called me crazy. Well, Milwaukee wins 4-1. Bucks over Celtics 116-91. Um, oh, dang, the Warriors, right? 3-2, Rockets. I'll still say, guys, I, I say the Rockets are still in it to win it. I'm not giving up. I told you. And, and, come on, guys. We do not want to see Golden State and – win another uh, championship. And so we got the series all tied up with the Raptors and the 76ers. 76ers trust in the process uh, over the Raptors. Uh, Another tied up is the Trailblazers and the Nuggets, guys. Remember, I told you also, and I made a forecast about the Nuggets. Yes, it's going to be difficult for them to get past Portland, but they're tied up 3-3. And I think everybody thought that this would be one of those those sweeps and just kind of uh, get it over with. So guys, don't outrule the Nuggets. Um, so we'll see what happens. Of course, follow us on social media at T Balance 
on Twitter, on the Twitter bird, and uh, you follow me on Facebook, um, and uh, the balance on Facebook, and if you're fortunate enough to be one of my thousands of friends on Facebook, I, I welcome you, but Facebook will no longer allow me to add any more friends, so unless somebody drops off, which is very well possible, I have a tendency to piss people off a lot, you know. <laughs> I realized yesterday that for whatever reason, I must have said something at some point, because uh, God knows I'm always saying something on Twitter. Uh, I'm worse than Donald Trump, I think. I must have said something at some point that pissed off Andretti. Uh, so uh, those of you that are, aren't Andretti fans will like this. They blocked me on Twitter, but that's okay. That's okay. I'm still going to say what's on my mind. I have no idea what got me blocked on, uh, by Andretti. I, I consider it a, a badge of honor. Thank you. I will take one uh, for the team. My name is Tom Mark with South Presidency. I'm headed down to the track. We'll see you next week right here on the Balance Radio Network. Don't drink a drive. It isn't cool. I'm out of here. Deuces. Join us next week for The Balance. In the meantime, check us out on Twitter, T-Balance, or Facebook, The Balance, or online at www.thebalanceonline.com.